Thanks for being here today. Uh, my name is Kevin Conover with Educate for Life, and my guest today is Natasha Crane, and you can visit her at natashacrane.com. And I just wanted to read this really cool uh, quote. This is a, a, an endorsement for her book that just came out, Talking with Your Kids About Jesus. This is from Lee Strobel. Natasha has an uncanny combination of a warm and winsome writing style, keen insights born out of personal experience, and a wealth of knowledge about Christian apologetics or evidence for the faith. And uh, that's Lee Strobel, the author of The Case for Christ, um, who has a, a movie out and everything. Uh, pretty impressive uh, endorsement, Natasha. Um, have you uh, had a chance? How did you get an endorsement like that? That's amazing. Uh, he must have he really liked your stuff that you've written so far. Yeah, I was so honored that he was willing to read, uh, write the foreword for the book and to read the book, of course. And uh, we just connected because he had written, read some of my blog posts and he liked them and uh, he reached out and said, you know, if there's anything I can do to help you, uh, I, you know, he'd love to be support. And so I decided to just take a big chance. And I said, well, actually, I'm currently <laughs> finishing a book and I don't know if you'd be willing. And, you know, I couched it in a thousand. It's okay if you don't want to. Uh, and then he wrote back and he said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So it was one of those yay moments um, because I love all of his work. He's done so much great work for the body of Christ. And so it really is an honor that he was willing to write. Before. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, um, let me just brag on you a little bit for our listeners, just so you guys know who we're talking to here. Natasha Crane is a national speaker. She's an author, a blogger, and her passion is equipping Christian parents to raise their kids with an understanding of how to make a case for and defend their faith in what we all know is an increasingly secular world. So the book we're talking about today is Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, 30 Questions That Christian Parents Must Ask, but she's also authored two other apologetics books for parents, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side and Talking With Your Kids About God. And uh, she's been on Focus on the Family. She has an incredible blog. Uh, she's been uh, with the Christian Research Journal, and she's been interviewed all over the place. She also has a degree from UCLA and MBA, as well as a certificate in Christian apologetics, apologetics from Biola University. And Natasha, you know, what I wanted to ask you about, you know, I'm very passionate about helping parents raise. That's what I do also. I'm a Christian uh, high school teacher. I teach apologetics. And I see and I speak around and I hear parents say, my kid walked away from God. My, uh, I raised my kids in a Christian home and they got, they got to college and they told me I'm an atheist. So I've had this happen quite a few times after a church service or whatever. Somebody comes up to me and says, what happened? What did I do wrong? And um, so this is what your book is about. This is what your passion is about. And um, I wanted to start off by asking you, you know, there are a lot of books written about apologetics. Lee Strobel's written tons of books. Sean McDowell's written tons of books. There's a lot of books. But um, your, your books are meeting a need in a way that a lot of uh, other books are not addressing the issues, specifically with parents and kids. Um, what motivated you to write this book? Why did you, how did you come about going, you know what, this is what needs to be written about? Yeah, well, I started my blog. Uh, it was just a Christian parenting blog. I started it back in 2011. And when I started that blog, I had never heard of apologetics before. I just decided I was going to write about Christian parenting and I was going to write about the things that we were doing to help our very young kids at the time to learn about Jesus and to, to know and love the Lord. And as I started writing, I started getting people who were coming to my site and they were attacking Christianity. And I wasn't writing anything that was trying to provoke people at all. It was just that for whatever reason, when people shared my blog posts, I would get a lot of skeptics coming to my site. And as they did, I was introduced 
all these kinds of challenges and questions that even though I had been a lifelong Christian, I really had never encountered before. Things about, you know, Jesus never existed, the Bible's filled with errors and contradictions, science that disproves God, all these kinds of questions that are so common. And I just realized that I was woefully unprepared to raise my kids in a world like this. And so I set out to get answers. I discovered apologetics, how we make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity. And through that process, I turned my blog into a place where I was writing to equip other Christian parents with that same understanding. So over the years, that led to me writing my three books that you described a little bit ago. And ultimately, the theme of those books is that there are all these conversations that Christian parents desperately need to have with their kids, given the specific challenges in today's world, that there are certain things that they're just not going to hear about in church, and they're not necessarily going to hear about in the average home, but that we need to be aware of. We need to know what the challenges are, and then we need to prepare them accordingly. So each of my books has that theme, and they just focus on a different type of subject in each one. So this most recent one, Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, focuses on 30 conversations, specifically at the Jesus level. So in other words, how do we know that Jesus was who he said he was? And what did Jesus teach? And what does the death of Jesus mean? And how do we know he was actually raised from the dead? And ultimately, what is the difference that Jesus makes for us? Yeah, and it's so important. It's so valuable. And I think parents are becoming more and more aware of this. That um, Would you say that the experience you had is an experience that a lot of parents are having in the sense that oh my goodness, all of a sudden my, my young person, my young, my child is asking questions and I don't feel prepared to answer these questions. Do you think that that's something that's a common experience? Yeah, I think that what's not common is the parent themselves getting personally attacked unless they're already online and really engaging with people in these kinds of conversations, then you will see these kinds of challenges all the time. But a lot of parents are kind of in their own little bubble, you know, they go back and forth to school and they have their friends and they don't necessarily engage in these things. But what is a very common experience is that they start to become aware of what's happening through their kids. So as their kids are getting older, they begin to encounter these kinds of questions especially if they're in a public school setting where this comes up a lot more often or even just from the media that their kids are watching and questions that come up that way. So they're starting to see more and more. These are challenges. And I think almost universally, Christian parents know that the world is becoming a tougher place. They just don't necessarily know what to do about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny that uh, the interview that I'm having with you today, the discussion we're having is so relevant. Just yesterday, I had my students... Uh, or I had a lot of uh, students watch an, a discussion, a debate I had with an atheist, uh, atheist uh, uh, vlogger uh, who has a lot of subscribers uh, on his YouTube channel. And he was giving all these reasons why you shouldn't believe in God. And he started off with his story. And his story was, I grew up in a Christian, in a Catholic family. Um, I had questions that I wanted answered. Nobody gave me good answers. And I decided God's not real. And so, um, you know, I, I always, at the end of my classes, I have uh, an atheist and evolutionist teach my one class to challenge the students because I want them to know, hey, this is what's out there. This is what's coming your way. Um, and so, so that they're prepared. But a lot of kids don't have that opportunity to be in an apologetics classroom, to have those discussions and to be uh, made aware of what's happening. And so, like you're saying, this is a big need because um, one of the things he said was, he said, you know, um, we don't, he said, I don't even think Jesus was a real person. He said, Jesus is a myth. Is that something that you hear uh, frequently? Because um, this, this isn't something that people always, uh, this, is, this is a new idea. 
Yeah, that's actually the first chapter in my book is, is Jesus a myth? And we start there and I even acknowledge in the book, you know, when you're thinking of raising your kids to know Jesus, you're often looking first of all, okay, now how do I show them that Jesus actually existed as a person in history? This is just not on the radar for most Christian parents, but it is a very common thing. It's very popular on the internet. There's kind of this whole community of people of Jesus mythers um, that they're called, and they don't believe that Jesus existed as a person in history. And I have to to qualify that by saying that amongst people, scholars who study this academically, virtually no one thinks that Jesus was a myth because there's really good reason to believe that he existed as a person in history, as I outlined in this chapter. But it becomes an issue for kids because they're going to encounter it in a popular level kind of conversation online. I think that's so important for parents to understand because sometimes they just wave these things off and say, yeah, but everyone knows Jesus wasn't a myth. And, you know, even atheist scholars will admit that, you know, yes, we know Jesus existed. But a lot of times the scholarship is not what kids with. They're engaging with those kinds of bloggers and, and myth posters that are out there and they come upon this stuff haphazardly and it sounds good if they haven't studied it and then they can be persuaded of things that there's actually very little evidence for. So yeah, yes, this yeah. is actually a very popular topic online especially. Yeah, and again, I, th- I really think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head here because that's exactly the issue. It's not as if the young people are going out and then um, they're talking to educated people about these issues, right? They're not talking to Jay Warner Wallace or Gary Habermas or any of these guys. The, the people that are getting this, this guidance from are the skeptical bloggers online or on Instagram or on Snapchat or whatever. There's on Periscope, there's all kinds of atheists that are saying, are, making these arguments and they just stumble on them as they're, because they're on their phones all the time. And um, they go, wow, I never heard that before. I've never heard a response to it. And they don't even necessarily go out and research it. So we have to be proactive in making that happen. And in your book, you give a, uh, in the introduction, you give an analogy about house cleaning to help give parents perspective on this issue. So um, can you share that with our listeners, uh, what you're talking about there? Yeah, so I acknowledge in the introduction that I'm horrible at keeping my house picked up. We always have stuff all over the place, homework papers and pencils on seat cushions. Just There's always stuff everywhere. But when I go to other people's houses, I feel like they are always more clean than my house. And so I was just wondering out loud in my introduction, you know, how do people do this? How do they actually keep their house so clean? And I told the story of how one day I was on Facebook and scrolling through and there was this article that was promoted that was called five things that tidy people don't do. And so I clicked over to get some very practical help. And one of the insights actually kind of blew my mind and it affected how I thought about not only cleaning, but about raising kids with ongoing conversations about Jesus. And here's what the point was. It said, tidy people don't act like a slob all day and then clean everything up in one fell swoop. They develop these tiny, non-drastic kind of habits to tidy as they go. And they called this low-grade tidying. And I just thought this was such a perfect analogy because if you see a book like mine and you say, okay, there are 30 conversations I've got to have and you think of it as this giant process and you've got to hurry up and do this deep cleaning on your kids' spiritual understanding and set aside a week where you're going on a family retreat to figure this all out, you're never going to do it. And it sounds completely overwhelming. Mm. But just like with cleaning, if you treat these conversations as a process, an ongoing process of low-grade tidying of your kids' spiritual 
spiritual understanding, it becomes much more manageable. Suddenly now you're able to just have these conversations as you go, you weave them into your daily life and you see it as a very long-term kind of project instead of that one deep clean that you do one day. And I think that that's a really big encouragement for us as Christian parents to remember, we don't have to see this as a giant overwhelming burden, but rather we just need to see it as an ongoing way of life that we're doing a little bit of cleaning each day as we go. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that uh, metaphor. It's so appropriate, just like you're saying. And um, if you're listening, if you're tuning in just recently, Natasha Crane is my guest today. She's the author of a book that just recently came out talking with your kids about Jesus 30 Conversations That Christian Parents Must Have With Their Kids. And you can check that out, natashacrane.com. She's got incredible, all kinds of blogs on there that are very helpful, very interesting, engaging, and relevant to your life. So I, I recommend you check it out. And of course, you can get her book anywhere. It's on Amazon. It's all over the place. You have the opportunity to, to pick it up. Um, you know, Natasha, you break the book down into five different sections. So um, I'll just read these off here. You have the identity of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and the difference Jesus makes. You know, for you, when you were writing this, what for you was the most enjoyable or most, um, the part that you felt like, wow, this is so significant, so important, so um, eye-opening for people. I mean, a lot of times when you're writing something like this and you're studying these issues, you're learning also too. What for you was uh, one of the, bi the, the biggest blessings as you're, you were writing this book? Oh, you know, it's interesting because you're right. You do learn so much even as you're writing because just as you're finding ways to explain to other people something, sometimes things click for you. So I could, I could say that about practically every chapter in the book, but I would say that I, especially when I was writing the second section on the teachings of Jesus, and I was picking out the topics that are most popularly misunderstood by both skeptics and Christians alike, that I just really felt this burden upon me to help parents understand this in a very streamlined, easy to understand what, because it is so common to hear people have these misunderstandings about things like, what did Jesus teach about judging others? And what did he teach about loving others? And what did he teach about organized religion? These are things that you have to be really gentle with because a lot of times people think that they have a biblical understanding about them, whereas in reality, it's based on the popular cultural kind of understanding of these subjects. And so I really enjoyed writing about these and just knowing that this is such an important thing for parents to understand so that they can engage more effectively with other people, especially online and the conversations that people are having today, but also to help the next generation, to help kids understanding as they're coming up, hey, actually, we are called to be good judges. We are called to discern well. We are called to love others in a way as defined by God. And so finding those points of clarity was really rewarding for me. And so you separate, you know, um, you separate between the identity of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And you emphasize that a lot of times people end up spending more time on the teachings of Jesus in, than the identity of Jesus. Uh, what's the significance of that? Why uh, help us understand why that's so important? Yeah, well, I think that as parents, it's a way easier to just naturally talk about the teachings of Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives because we can apply those teachings to our kids' behavior a lot of times. So it might be easy as our kids are doing something they shouldn't be to talk to them about, okay, well, here's why as Christians that we don't do that, or here's why as Christians that we don't watch this kind of thing, or whatever the case may be. It just kind of naturally fits together. But we don't seem to find as many of those natural opportunities in our day-to-day -day lives to talk about the identity of Jesus in terms of, well, who 
how do we know that Jesus was who he said he was? And this is so key to understand because if we don't have good reason to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, in other words, that he was God himself, then all those teachings of Jesus don't matter at all. Because he, if Jesus wasn't God, then he has no authority in order to teach those things in any kind of binding way on our lives. We might as well talk mm-hmm. about what our next door neighbor teaches. So that's why that first section of my book is the identity of Jesus, because if we don't have a really solid understanding of who Jesus was and how we know that, then none of the rest of the book matters. And I think we just far too often skip over that with our kids and just assume that they understand they've been at church. They must know Jesus is God, right? But how do they know that? Because when they don't understand that he is God and all that that implies in terms of his authority for our lives, then they're not going to care so much about what he has to say. And all those teachings kind of go out the window. So as you're, you know, you're, you're studying this a lot. I mean, you, you've written um, your book on talking to your kids about God. You've written the book on raising uh, your kids to stay Christian. And um, as you're doing this, what are you seeing? What kind of feedback are you getting as far as um, what are some of the most significant issues when it comes to raising Christian kids and helping them stay Christian, having a vibrant faith after they leave high school and they're off on their own? Um, are there any things that are, are really popping up as common issues that you feel like, you know, um, if somebody were to say, where do I start with all this? And, and um, you know, along with your book and everything, what do I need to do to, to continue this and, and for them to have a vibrant faith and for me to have a lot of confidence that they're not going to fall away from their faith as they get older? Yeah, well, there there were a lot of questions in in that one question. Yeah. <laughs> I could go some different directions with that, but uh, let, let me just start with the question of you know what's going to make a difference in their eventual faith. Okay. I think that it's really important that we have the right mindset as Christian parents that we are not called to do X, Y, and Z so that we will have a certain outcome in terms of our kids' relationship with the Lord. Ultimately, that is between them and God. But we're called to make the investment. We are called to put in the time and to put in the effort, and then we let God and t- take that and make it grow all for His glory. And so I think that that mindset's important because if we think, okay, it's a process of I'm going to put in this and then I'm going to get this out, that they're going to have this relationship when that doesn't exactly work out. Like we think we can become resentful or frustrated, angry, and that's the wrong mindset to have biblically. So we need to think of this as an investment that we're making. Now that said, I think some interesting research has been done by the Barna group on some of the factors that they found in what kids report who have grown up into what they call spiritual champions. So those who have taken their faith seriously and are still committed to a biblical worldview by the time they're in their early 20s. They've gone, they've researched these kids and they've looked, they've interviewed them, they've interviewed their families, and they've looked for these connections. And they found a couple of things that have made a fundamental difference. And you can read the book Revolutionary Parenting if you're interested in, in all of this research. But one of the things that they report that the adult kids reported was most important to them in developing their faith was Bible study as a family. Mm. And I think that this is so important not because it should sound shocking, it shouldn't. Of course, as Christians, we should be studying the Bible together with our kids. But the research also shows that fewer than one in 10 Christian families read the Bible together in a given week. So think yes. about that. Think about the gap there, right? The, the kids who grow up and have a really strong faith are saying it was Bible study that made the difference, those connections to their worldview, but very few parents are actually doing this. So we should not be shocked when we see kids walking away from faith today, because how are they going to hold to a biblical worldview when they're not studying the Bible? 
So I think that ultimately there are many, many things that we need to be doing as a family. But if we're not starting with Bible study, we're really missing the boat because our kids cannot learn to defend something that they can't first define. And that's their faith as defined by the Bible. So it starts with Bible study, but then also these other conversations like the ones in my book that take them not just from here's what we believe as Christians, but here's why we have good reason to believe it. And that's the conviction that kids need in a world where they're constantly feeling the challenges from everyone around them. Yeah. And your book, you know, has, um, questions, uh, you know, opportunities for parents to have these discussions with their kids. So you provide some of the talking dialogue to, to have with these kids. Can you go into that a little bit? Because it's not just a straight through read through book in, in that sense, but it actually provides uh, these opportunities to dialogue, not just doesn't just tell the parents what to talk about, but then provides these discussion questions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So every single chapter in the book has a conversation guide. And I think this is really important because my very first book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, it just had the content itself. So it's 40 conversations and that are big challenges today. And it's kind of an apologetics 101 for parents. But after I wrote that book, a lot of parents said, I, I understand this stuff now, but it's hard to get it out of my head and into conversation. And so mm -hmm. my last book and this book have a step-by-step -step conversation guide with every single chapter so that it takes that information you just put in your head and helps you to verbalize it. And it starts with a really easy to understand, open the conversation type of question that even kids as young as you know five could answer and start thinking about. And if you have a really young child, maybe that's the only question that you ask. And then you just use that opportunity to highlight a couple of things from the chapter that you want them to know at that age. And as they get older, you can revisit it like that low grade tidying we were talking about and use it as this long term guide to what you're going to have a conversation about. And you come back the next time and go a little bit deeper. So the questions get deeper and deeper to take you across the content. And then every chapter at the end has something called apply the conversation, which gives you an actual quote from a skeptic that I've ever either found online or in a book. And it challenges everything that the kid just learned in the chapter. And it gives them an opportunity to apply what they just learned and practice verbalizing a response. So if you're home homeschooler, for example, it makes a great assignment for a kid to go back and write out a response. If you're doing it as a family time kind of conversation, you could use that as well and just practice, you know, talking about as a family, well, how would you respond if someone said this? So all of these are just some of the tools that will help you to put into practice what you're learning from the chapters themselves. So um, that's fantastic. I, I think that's just excellent. So these, these um, you know, you wrote six chapters specifically on the resurrection. And, you know, some questions come up more often than other questions um, at, as far as it pertains to things like miracles, skeptics uh, question the validity of, uh, you know, why should I believe that somebody rose from the dead? I've never seen somebody rise from the dead today. You know, uh, why should I believe that? And, and so forth. So um, why did you write so much on, specifically on the resurrection? Um, is this a, a question that comes up more often than others? Um, go help us uh, understand the most important issues um, that you wrote about in the book in your mind? Yeah, well, I think with respect to the resurrection specifically, the answer to that is in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, where the Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain. And I love this verse because it so succinctly gives us a truth test for Christianity. It tells us very specifically, here's how we know if Christianity is true or false. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then it validated his claims to divinity. His predictions that he would be raised from the dead came true. He was who he said he was, and he has all authority for his life. And all those teachings we talked about matter. His death matters. It accomplished all of these objective things for us on the cross. Everything 
is changed if Jesus was raised from the dead. And if he wasn't, then nothing else matters. We don't need to be Christians. We can pack our bags and go home. So I think it's so important for our kids to understand that. And in fact, that section starts the chapter on why it matters that Jesus was raised from the dead, because so often we find that apologists will talk about all the evidence for the resurrection, but they're jumping right over, but why should I care so much? And so that I think is a starting point for that conversation. So I think kids need to understand why the resurrection is so important to Christianity. But beyond that, they also have to understand the evidence for it. We don't want them to just think, well, I guess I just have to blindly believe that somebody was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, even though this kind of stuff never naturally happens. And so they have to understand a lot about miracles, the nature of miracles first, and then also why we would have any reason historically to think that Jesus was raised from the dead. And just as a side note, I think it, this is a really interesting topic. I, there's a, a new book, and I wish I could remember the exact title of it, but it's a book by Robert Bowman, and he's comparing the claims of Mormonism and Joseph's visions to the resurrection and looking at the evidence for each. And it's just a really great example, I think, to talk about with kids about how there are specific historical claims in Christianity that the truth of our faith rests on. And there are specific claims in other religions that the truth of their faith rests on. And when you compare them, you can see there's no comparison, that we have enormous evidence for the truth of Christianity, whereas it, in other faiths, you just don't see that. And in fact, a lot of the evidence is against those claims. So it's, I think it's, it's interesting to see how we can compare Christianity versus other worldviews in that way. But it does all come back to the resurrection for Christians. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a common thing that I hear all the time. I mean, during the debate yesterday in the chat box, um, what was coming up frequently was, um, why do you, why do you uh, accept the Christian God, but you deny all these other gods? And this seems to be the new atheist kind of mantra, which is, uh, I'll, I'll hear people say, um, I've had an atheist say this to me on the radio. He said, you're an atheist too. You just, uh, you just only believe in this God, but you're an atheist with all these other gods. And I, I feel like that, that uh, is so naive and so um, just misunderstanding because, like you said, the credibility of the Word of God compared to things like uh, the Quran or the Book of Mormon or whatever it is, there's just no comparison. And a lot of people just aren't aware of that. But you've got to start with knowing what you believe, like you said. You've got to know about Jesus. You've got to know the claims of Jesus. You've got to know all these sorts of things. Um, that's really important. Uh, so... Uh, ultimately, um, you know, when, I, when parents are, part of what parents are struggling with is, you know, how do I make the time for this? When do I read a book like this? Um, do you have any guidance as far as, um, you know, in your own personal life and your own schedule and how you incorporate these things into your life on a weekly basis? What does that look like for a parent? What, what recommendations would you give them about um, how do I read through the book? Do I read through it with the whole family? Do I read once a week? Do I read twice a week? Or is there, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it can be used in a lot of different ways, but I guess I would say in an ideal world, I would recommend reading the whole book yourself first because there's a definite kind of step-by-step trajectory to it where it's it's building blocks going from, like I said earlier, the identity of Jesus to now we know who he was. Let's talk about the teachings and then his death, resurrection. It's very sequential. And I think it's helpful as a parent to kind of have that big picture in mind before you go to teaching your kids individually about the different topics. So you could take it then from having that understanding. You could say, okay, I think that, you know, whatever it is you're doing homeschool or we already have a Bible study every week, whatever it is, if you are able to take one chapter a week and work through it with your kids over 30 weeks, that's great. A lot of 
know, they're kind of going from a hundred with that. And they're like, yeah, but I don't necessarily do anything right now. And in that case, you might just set aside one section and say, okay, these six chapters, we're going to have these conversations and make it a six week study with your family. Do one a week and then take a break. And then maybe in a couple of months, come back to it and you can do another few weeks on another topic. It really just depends on kind of the pattern of your life. But I think the biggest thing I would say is that once you're equipped with this understanding yourself and you know what topics are there that are so often brought by skeptics and you know how to answer them, you'll start to see teachable opportunities in day-to-day life that just come up when you're not just sitting down intentionally to say, okay, we're having this conversation now. And that's so important because it's those teachable moments where this becomes so relevant to kids, where you might see something that they read at school or maybe something a friend said or maybe something you saw online that you bring to them and say, hey, I just saw this today. What do you think of this? And those are the opportunities where you can say, hey, by the way, how do we even know that Jesus was God? Like, why why should we even think that? And kind of challenge them. And then maybe you're just bringing forth your knowledge from chapter three on is Jesus God at that time. So there, I look at it in terms of creating moments. So when you're bringing that time to your kids and saying, hey, we're going to study this, but then also using moments. And that's where your knowledge as a parent comes in so important that you can identify those opportunities based on your understanding that you have and then weave them into your ongoing daily life. That's great. That's good advice. And then, um, you know, uh, some parents might be thinking, yeah, but uh, this is the stuff that my kids are going to be picking up in Sunday school, in youth group, or in church. Um, What would you say to somebody who says, you know, this isn't really something I need to focus on, they're already getting this, maybe after Christian school, or or whatever the case. Uh, what, What might you say to somebody like that? Yeah, well, there's a tiny, tiny chance that they might actually be right about that. So I can't argue that with any individual in terms of their own church or school. But I would say that overwhelmingly, churches are not doing this. Uh, Overwhelmingly, Sunday schools and youth groups are very, very focused on teaching the basics of Christianity. And they're unfortunately not going to the basics of apologetics, which should be taught right there with them. And so I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. They absolutely should be. But unfortunately, they're not. And we can see that the problem with that is that kids are walking away from faith when they encounter these challenges. And all the research shows that at least 60% of kids are walking away from their faith by their early 20s today. So clearly, when they talk about the challenges that they're encountering, that they're not getting answers to, they're not getting the answers they need at church. And for those who are in Christian schools, most Christian schools are not going to that extra step of saying, yeah, let's teach our kids apologetics. Maybe a Christian high school is, but very few Christian elementary schools or middle schools are doing that. And if they are, it's probably in a very small way. But I would say that even if you have won the lottery in terms of a Christian school and a church that is going more deeply into these topics, that shouldn't take the pressure off you as the parent, because ultimately we are the primary disciplers of our kids. We are the primary spiritual influencers in their lives. And we should be working to integrate all of this, their understanding and worldview into our daily lives. I know I keep coming back to that daily life thing, but it is an ongoing way of life that we should have with our kids. It's like Deuteronomy 6, you know, when you sit down, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, it's at all times. Not if your church happens to do it, you're off the hook, or if your school happens to do it, you're off the hook. We should be doing it no matter what. And if you can find a school and a church that are additionally doing it, then praise the Lord. It's great that they're going to hear it there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I love your your website. Uh, for those of you listening, natashacrane.com. Uh, she's got a great um, blog post in here 
And um, one of the blog posts you have on here is the number one sign, sign your kids are just borrowing your faith. You know, what are the, um, what are the red flags that parents should be looking out for? And, you know, uh, along the way, um, you know, some people, they might feel like I'm starting this too late. Uh, You know, it's, it's, they're, they're a senior. And of course we want to do that. Like you said, tidying along the way, but um, what are the signs that a, a child is not embracing their faith and where that parent might say, man, I really need to pick up the slack in this area in my, in my life and my parenting. Uh, what kind of things should be, should they be watching out for? Yeah. Well, sometimes it's very, very obvious to parents because the kids start to fight back and push back and are very verbal about how they feel about their faith. And it's then that a lot of parents go into crisis mode of saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe in my kid. They're turning away from the Lord and they go searching for answers and then they discover apologetic. But when I wrote that blog post, the number one sign that your kids are just borrowing your faith and not developing their own, I wanted to call attention to parents who are kind of in a comfort zone, who are just kind of sitting back saying, yeah, well, thankfully, I think we're okay right now. My kid's not really saying anything. And, you know, they're going to church without too much trouble. They're involved in youth group and, you know, volunteering in the nursery maybe. And I think it's a false sense of security in a lot of cases. And what a lot of times happens is that the kids who are quiet are the ones who are not asking questions. And if they're not asking questions, there's a good chance that they're just borrowing your faith and not developing their own. And a borrowed faith can be just as dangerous as one that gets destroyed in high school because ultimately, if they're not asking questions and they're not wanting to dig more deeply into what they believe and why, by the time they leave home, that faith is just as ready for crushing as a faith where they had already turned away in their their teenage years. So that number one sign is that kids are not asking questions. And if they're not asking questions, you need to get them to ask questions. You need to kind of raise these things with them and you need to be giving them the questions. When you know that the world is going to challenge your kids on the plausibility of miracles, for example, and the world's going to tell them miracles don't happen. It's ridiculous to think this stuff happens. You know, it's ridiculous that somebody was swallowed by a whale. If you know that, you need to bring the question to your kid and say, why do you think miracles are possible? and talk to them about these things. So I like to give the the example of World War II. In history, we don't say, okay, well, if my kid asks questions about World War II, then I'm going to teach them about World War II. We don't do that in their academic lives, and we shouldn't do it spiritually either. We know what they need to know, or we Mm. should know that, and then we need to teach them accordingly. And a, a lot no of kids, yeah, and a lot of kids, they don't even know the questions to ask. They don't know what's coming exactly. their way. So if we don't prepare them for those questions, then those questions might not come up until there's a point where they're in a moment of crisis. And because it, they've never been dealt, they've never had to de- deal with it before. It just they just get knocked over. Um, right. So that, that's absolutely true. And that's what I love about your book is how you break down uh, these thirty specific questions that are very very specific. Because a lot of times, too, as parents, parents are kind of like, well. I hope I'm covering what, what needs to be covered. I'm not an expert in this. I haven't taken the time to study it. And so they might grab a DVD over here. They might grab a book over here. They might grab this over here and just hope, okay, I think maybe these are the topics. And, and yet um, what your book really does is really breaks that down and shows them exactly the kind of questions that are coming their way so they can address each one specifically, which is fantastic. And if you're listening, my guest today is Natasha Crane. She's the author of three books that very specifically are addressing the fact that many kids are walking away from their faith. George Barna actually did a study on this in 2017, and he actually said, we're in a crisis. 
Um, kids do not have a biblical worldview. If we don't do something about it, uh, we're in big trouble. And uh, you know that word crisis, what do you do in a crisis? You act quickly and you act decisively. You don't sit around and go, well, I'll get to that some, at some point in time. No, you go out and you do something about it very quickly, right away. And I really think that is, it's a crisis for, for our kids. Um, they really need to be able to uh, deal with these issues as soon as possible. And, um, you know, you, you said um, something really interesting here too, um, which, which I, I want to get to that, but basically uh, with kids uh, and thinking critically about these issues, uh, sometimes, you know, in Sunday school, uh, what happens seems to be happening is it's almost, and I've seen this also in even Christian high school classes, like a Bible class. Sometimes it seems like they're having a negative impact. They're not actually having a positive impact on a kid's faith. They're actually weakening their faith. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you also blog about this issue also with Sunday schools and how sometimes they're creating secularists. Uh, you mean you mean how bringing Secular up questions, how bringing up these questions can actually make them question their faith, or that well, they're not. Well, along those same lines, uh, actually, this is even more specifically what I wanted to address. I've had parents who have said to me, "I'm concerned about you bringing up this issue because I'm afraid that it's going to cause my child to doubt their faith." And so they've actually said, "Well, can we just not cover this issue?" Um, you know, how do you okay. feel about, about somebody that says something like that? Right. Yeah. I've actually encountered that quite a lot where parents think, you know, well, I'm not, I don't want to bring this up to my kids, you know, like I don't want to bring up all this, this stuff that they're going to hear on the internet, but that's exactly the thing. They are going to hear it. So it's like a lot of other subjects as parents that maybe we don't want to talk about subjects X, Y, and Z, but if we know that our kids are going to hear about it from the world, we want to be the ones to talk about it first. We want to be the ones to have that safe conversation that we can actually have these conversations and answer questions and talk about those things. So it's not a matter of if your kids will encounter these things, it's when. And I think that's the biggest thing that parents need to understand. It's not that they have the choice to talk about what skeptics are saying. Their kids are going to hear this. They're going to see it. And so if you want the opportunity to provide some input into that, into how they're processing these things and to explain what an answer would be from a Christian worldview, then you need to take it seriously and need to do it. And ultimately, I think what parents need to accept if Christianity is true, then you have nothing to fear. And so a lot of times I think parents are coming from the perspective, whether they want to admit it or not, where they're not so convicted of their own faith. Maybe they've been a maybe they're a nominal Christian, maybe they didn't get their own questions answered. So they're scared of the questions themselves. But if Christianity is not true, you shouldn't want to believe it. And so you shouldn't be afraid to go after the truth and to pursue it. And if Christianity is true, then we don't have anything to fear with all of these questions. And so I think that's the mindset that we have to have. And it gives us a lot of credibility as parents to raise our kids in a home where we say, look, you know, I don't want, I'm not hiding anything. I want you to ask all these questions because this is a home where we're going to think about the deepest things of life. And we're going to process these things together. And all questions are welcome. All are good questions and we're going to work through it together. So I think it sets an important tone in your home. And that's really the tone of scripture also, right? And in Isaiah, God says, come, let us reason together. Right. Um, Paul says, uh, you know, we didn't follow cleverly devised uh, schemes in order to persuade you that something is true. And uh, Christ himself uses um, the phrase, I tell you the truth. I believe in the NIV version, it's 78 times. 
And so there's this overarching theme in the scriptures that, uh, like you said, we don't have to be afraid of exploring these questions because uh, ultimately it's true. And so uh, I think that's a really good message. And I think you're right that a lot of parents fear, oh, where is this question going to lead? I don't know where it's going to go um, down this road. And, and they're concerned about it. But I think too, you know, um, this is an important issue is in the, how is parenting as a Christian today different from parenting as a Christian in the past? Um, because parent, because parents may say, my parents ha- didn't have to do this. They didn't have to deal with this situation. Why should I bring this up when my own parents didn't bring that up? Um, wh- what has been, what, what is, we all know culture is becoming increasingly secular, but what else is it about parenting today as a Christian that is different about parenting in the past? Well, I think parents need to realize that, you know, discipleship has always been our calling. So that has not changed since the Bible. Uh, that, that has always been the same. But what exactly is entailed with that, with discipleship, is going to change over time given the environment in which you are discipling. So I think that you have to consider, okay, when we were growing up, maybe the environment that we were in didn't require us to constantly butt up against these challenges and to hear these kinds of things. So even though I wouldn't say when I was growing up, for example, that everyone around me was a Christian, they had somewhat at the surface similar values. And so we could kind of float along next to each other without it becoming really obvious that I was a Christian and that they weren't a Christian. And we didn't really have to have any kind of conflict over that. But that's so different now because now the world is explicitly coming after Christians in so many ways, in so many areas of life, and it's becoming explicitly anti-Christian in a lot of ways. And so kids will constantly butt up against that in a way that we didn't. So the environment has changed, and that changes our job description as parents because we have to address that. And one of the biggest factors, I think, of kids walking away today is that they feel shame for their beliefs. They feel the shame of people pointing their fingers and saying, how can you believe this stuff? I mean, isn't this just ridiculous? And you're not only does it sound ridiculous and it's not true, but it's also hateful and it's ignorant and it's bigoted and it's all these things. So not only is Christianity not true, according to skeptics, it's also a really bad thing. And when kids have no conviction of why there's good reason to believe it, they're not going to stand there and take all the shame on it. It's too uncomfortable to be in that position. They're just going to walk away. And so if we want them to be able to stand strong in what they believe, they can't feel the burden of that shame. And so that's why I think apologetics is so important today in terms of parents giving that information to kids and helping them understand it. Otherwise, they're not going to want to be in the worldview minority where we find ourselves in our world today. They're going to just walk away where it's a lot easier. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I, I absolutely, I, I mean, I feel that myself and, you know, with kids in the classroom. What I've noticed is as I'm teaching apologetics to kids, what ends up happening is, is as they get these answers, they become more confident in their faith and they become more comfortable actually talking about their faith. And they kind of come out of their shell and all of a sudden they're excited to, to talk to their friends about these questions because they've got answers. And so it makes a gigantic difference in their own walk with the Lord. Yes, absolutely. And, and so now in your book, um, the book you wrote, wrote about raising, uh, raising your kids Christian, making sure that they stay in their faith. Your first book that you wrote, um, you covered 40 questions and, you know, somebody might want to end up buying both of these books because they do cover such a different area. Can you um, just share with our listeners, what are some of the things you cover in the, 
the previous book that you wrote that you don't cover in this book, and then your third book as well. What, what are the big differences in them? Uh, why should they uh, take a look at each one of these books? Yeah, so the, like I said, there's an ongoing theme that these are the conversations kids need to have in a secular world, but each one has a totally different focus. And so they're meant to be kind of this complementary set, a resource set for parents. The first one is called Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. And that's basically an apologetics 101 for parents. And so it covers a broad survey of 40 topics. And so you'll get eight chapters on God, eight chapters on truth and worldviews, eight chapters on the Bible, eight chapters on science, and eight chapters on Jesus. So these are just introductory questions across across the board to kind of get your feet wet to understand some of these topics. And then after I wrote that book, a lot of people said, okay, I see this is so important and I love this stuff. I love the parent to parent voice. And this is really easy to understand. What do I write? What do I read now? And how do I go deeper in this? And so my next book is talking to kids about God. And that book focuses specifically on the God level questions. So what's the evidence for God's existence and what's the nature of God and what's the relationship between science and God questions like that. And then this book is focused specifically on Jesus. And like we've been talking about the identity of Jesus, the teachings, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. All three of the books work together. And if you're considering the first two books, you might want to know that starting next week, both of those, the eBooks will be on sale for, I think it's $1.99 on uh, talking with your kids about God and $2.99 for keeping your kids on God's side. So you can get a really good deal on the eBooks starting in May. That's great. And you've also got a curriculum coming out too that's going to be uh, helpful. Talk to our listeners about that uh, and, and what the purpose of that curriculum is specifically. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because I haven't had a curriculum to go with a book before and I'm working on it right now. Uh, but Hugging With Your Kids About Jesus will have a small group curriculum, a six session curriculum to go with it. And it's supposed to come out in December and it will have uh, DVDs with it that are going to be on Right Now Media if your church uses that and also can be purchased separately with, as well as the participants guide. It's not going to teach through the entire book, all 30 subjects, because that would be a giant DVD series. But the yeah. idea instead <laughs> is to just have one DVD session per big section of the book plus an introduction to just kind of give people a beginning idea of what they should be thinking about with these subjects and get people talking. So I'm hoping that maybe for those who wouldn't pick up a whole book and read everything in it, that they might go into a small group for parents at a church on the topic and start hearing about some of these questions and get into good discussions about them. And then it will pique their interest to learn more. So I'm excited about the small group uh, curriculum for sure, as long as we are allowed to meet as small groups at some point. Again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Exactly. Yeah. So, so is that curriculum um, more geared towards parents or is that uh, yes. more? Yes, it is. Okay. So that's, that's fantastic. Well, that's really great. Um, Natasha, I think this is incredible uh, what you've done here and uh, it's going to be an incredible resource for parents. And um, hopefully as time moves forward, we're able to push back against these horrible stats we're hearing about uh, kids walking away from the faith. I think that as um, parents are equipped and then they can then pour into their children like that, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, so. I just want to thank you so much for being on the program today. Um, it's been a huge blessing. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. So if you want to check out Natasha's stuff, uh, natashacrane.com. You can also pick up her books at uh, on Amazon or wherever else books are sold. It's now an ebook form, like she said. And keep an eye out for the curriculum. Um, we're going to be coming back next week again. Um, we'll have more guests, more debates, all kinds of stuff. If you want to check out my stuff, educateforlife.org, you can check it out. I've got a full online apologetics curriculum. It's video-based, 
um, a little bit different from what uh, Natasha's doing, but uh, it is very complimentary at the same time. You can check that out there. And uh, we also have all kinds of shows up with debates with atheists having discussions with physicists like Lawrence Krauss. He believes the universe came from absolutely nothing. I've also got uh, lots of debates up there with uh, people like Dan Barker from the Freedom of Religion Foundation, just so that you can see these dialogues take place in action. And then we have a lot of scientists we interview also on the different issues about evolution and things like this. Dr. James Tor, one of the top 50 scientists in the world. Uh, we have an interview with him and many, many other interviews that are there to encourage you, uh, support you as you're trying to raise your kids to love God. And as you yourself are being built up and equipped to be able to be a light to your neighbors and your coworkers and the people around you. And just to give you that confidence that the word of God is true. So uh, thanks for being with us, being with us, excuse me, and uh, stay safe. And uh, we're all praying that this whole uh, coronavirus goes away very quickly here. So thanks for being with us today and uh, God bless you. Bye-bye.